And welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't done so yet, check out our weekly emails where I share actual B2B marketing, website and SEO tips, podcasts, free giveaways and more. You can give it a shot over at businessgrowth.email. So join me today. I've got Shannon Curran. Shannon's the VP of Marketing over at Mad Kudu. Shannon, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Ah, oh, good. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. Excited yeah, to yeah, you. yeah. Likewise, good, good to good to chat. Looking forward to the convo. We're going to be talking about how to make predictions in B two B marketing. I think this is going to be super useful for a bunch of kind of tech founders, marketers maybe even some sales reps that tune in to understand how they can actually leverage predictions, leverage data to make sound decisions when it comes to driving leads, pipeline revenue for their B2B organizations. So that said, why should B2B companies consider making predictions when it comes to their marketing? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic. Um, It's something that every time I'm in conversation with my peers, the kind of um, elephant in the room conversation, the dirty word of attribution comes up. Uh, Mm. It is something that I think no one has solved. Everyone's still, it's wild to me how many CMOs still talk about it, um, like for like in a lot of their job. Um, And so the way that we think about it over at Mad Kudu is thinking a little bit less about what happened in the past and more about how you can use data to help you understand what's going to happen in the future, right? And I think that we have so much data now, right? I think this is something that every tech company is talking about, the oversaturation of data, mm. um, especially if you're selling into re- revenue teams, right? So if you're thinking about marketers, there's just signals everywhere, tons mm. of noise um, as the buying process gets more and more I don't even know if it's necessarily complex. Uh, a lot of times it's complex, but it's just noisy. Like I think there's yep. just so many channels. Um, and how do you know which one of which of those signals to prioritize to understand where your revenue and your pipeline is going to come from? So um, we think a lot about how we can uh, like be the, kind of the co-pilot to revenue teams to allow them to understand where to invest their budget where to invest their time, how do they predict and prioritize the right Mm. revenue generating signals so they know how to um, only work on the accounts that look like they're closed one business. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's a a super timely topic because so many companies, so many brands, so many teams in the tech space, especially are getting really clamping down on the budgets, whether that's paid spend, influencer spend, I don't know, SEO spend, website spend, whatever it may be. Um, so this is going to be super useful and I want to jump through kind of your ideas when it comes to kind of putting together that kind of strategy. Um, but how will this impact, how will making predictions impact revenue specifically? Is it around, like you mentioned there, just setting aside a budget for the right channels that have the most impact kind of shorter term, or is there a bit more to consider? Yeah, it's really a full funnel approach. So everything from where do I invest at the top of the funnel to know that the right quality leads are coming or leads or accounts. Um, I like to hope that folks are looking at accounts now, right. Um, are coming into their, into their pipe, um, mm-hmm. or into their funnel. 
Um, and then as they go through their funnel, really understanding the customer journey and where folks should prioritize. So it's interesting. I think uh, a few years ago when, so I joined Mad Kudu about eight months ago, but a few years ago, we are working a lot with um, specifically product-led growth companies that had right. a ton of volume in terms of signups, in terms of leads, and they needed help prioritizing, right? They needed okay. help scoring them. They needed to understand, you know, when is a lead actually ready to go to sales? Um, and there was so much volume that that was really our value, right? Uh, and now we're seeing these folks, uh, inbound volume is down uh, across the board. And you're also seeing there is uh, a, there is somewhat, there's a lack of investment. Sorry, I knew this was going to happen. This is my cat. Um, there <laughs> is uh, less investment um, on the PLG front as well. Um, let me restart this. This is going to work. Oh no, it now it focused on him instead of me. <laughs> I can no help worries. you guys. Um, and so we were able to um we're able to help teams now really think about how do they predict in the future where to put their budget um and where to invest and how do they tell their sales folks what accounts to go after, how do we actually make outbound work again? Um, and that's what we're really seeing as a big value add, um, which is a little bit different than what we were seeing maybe two years ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All, all makes sense. And I know you, before we hit recording, there's something you work on or mention or encourage companies to get stuck in, stuck into called a hybrid funnel. Yeah. So it'd be great if you could share a bit more what, what that entails and how that can help organizations. Definitely. I'm sorry about my camera. It's really just giving me a tough time here. Let's see if I can get it. Yeah, no, no worries. We can always <laughs> cut okay. this out. Um, it might be a little blurry for you. Um, so yeah. So when you think about funnels, it used to be inbound, outbound, right? Like it was, you know, you're either an inbound business. Um, you bring a ton of traffic to your, to your website, or you are mostly an outbound business. Lots of cold calls, right? Um, what we're seeing now is pretty much every company has a hybrid funnel. So hmm. everything from inbound to outbound to a product-led growth motion. So if they have a freemium or free trial offer, lots of folks are also um, building a ton of revenue in their customer base. So you're looking at land and expand. Um, and all of those are coming in as different qualified leads. So you get to see like SQL, PQL, MQL, like you hear all of these acronyms, right? Um, and what we're truly trying to say is that the QL part is the thing that matters, right? Like, is this right. qualified? Um, Oh, I'm back. Um, so is this traffic qualified? Um, uh, are these accounts qualified? Are these contacts qualified to really send over to sales? So it really means a lot less about the channel in which they are brought in on other than how you allocate your budget, which we think is really important. Um, but in terms of your sales team, do you think someone, an AE really cares where, you know, the hand raiser came from? Certainly not. Yep. Um, they care if it's going to close. Right. And so, uh, and how quickly, <laughs> And if they can hit their number, right? For and sure. sales folks are are grinding right now. They are definitely it's it's not um, the game that it has been, right? As if you're in B two B tech, right, which I know a lot of your audience is, um, over the last few years has been really different, right? And they're they're definitely searching everywhere they can to find um, to find business. And so we're finding now that it doesn't really matter which channels uh, from a marketing perspective they're coming in from. They just want to know that they're coming. And so we're, we're all running a hybrid funnel. Um, mm. We can't rely on one channel anymore. I was talking to a customer the other day that their entire business was pretty much built on paid ads. Right. Like, and they had enough volume, like that they were, that they were bringing in enough. And now they're finding like this, that is not scalable. We're running out of capital. 
and we need to diversify our, our funnel sources. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, we're all, all of us are in it. I think, um, maybe some of the big giants aren't, but I I think, I think they are. (laughs) So it's funny how it always takes crises or issues like that for us to realize that a multi-channel marketing system just makes sense. And I've certainly been guilty of it in our own business, WebChoice and various other companies. Like when something takes a severe hit, then it's like, oh yeah, we should probably have other channels running to drive inbound rather than just relying on paid or SEO or demand gen or influencer marketing or social or whatever it might be or outbound cold calling, cold email, whatever. But it's always those times when you realize, and like you say, if if you're running on paid and like we're seeing that across the board quite a lot that inbound from paid is kind of on, on the down on a bit of a down downhill slope and it's it really brings in home that you can't rely on one or two channels to fuel your sales team and every business is totally different right that's the other thing you know and i think everyone knew they should be diversifying a few years ago but if one of your channels is massively taking off how do you say no don't allocate budget like over there because we want to make sure we want to try and grow these other like really nascent channels that are going to take a long time to like organic is a good example, right? That takes a long time to show mm. value. Um, and organic is also, uh, people are finding, I think we're, we're hearing that it's down across the board because less people are in an active buying process than they used to be, right? Less people are searching for solutions. Um, and so it, you need to be a lot more focused on getting your brand in front of your customers so that you become more persuasive in that buying process. So organic was amazing when people were constantly looking for software, right? When people were always searching for software, right? How mm-hmm. do I solve my problem? How can I buy more tools? Uh, I remember I, I was in a role a few years ago that our MarTech stack had 56 tools in it. Wow. And that was like the, the golden age of MarTech, right? Where like everyone is buying a point solution for very small things, right? Um, and now people are saying, how do I get my, my RevTech stack down to five tools? Like they don't, they're platforms that go across the teams. So I don't have, you know, a marketing ops team that is just managing a thousand point solutions, right? Um, and how could I get my cap down? right? Like I, in terms of software, so I don't have to do a layoff. Right. So I think that there's, I think people knew that this was the right thing to do, but it was hard to, it's easy to look back and say, how did we not diversify? It's like, well, you know, if you had a ton of traffic coming in, you know, it makes complete sense. Like that's mm. a great signal that you should invest. Right. So I think, uh, I don't blame anybody. I think it's, just, no, no. yeah, definitely. a new. we're, we're in a new age. Right. And I think that it's important that we adapt to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hate to think what the monthly spend was on about 58 MarTech tools a month. I don't even know. I, I remember <laughs> I canceled like most of them when I got I was like, I don't even know how to sign into half of these. <laughs> like, I don't know. But a lot of them were also like $10 a month. Like this was the time when you had a lot of those like social media tools and sure. like blog optimization tools. And I think they were all cheap enough that they probably didn't even get into a procurement process. Right. Um, so they just became a complete spatter of, <laughs> of stuff, um, uh, that had one person logged in. Right. And I think that that's, I do think that age is kind of, uh, is, is ending for sure. For sure. So when it comes to setting up a prediction and a prioritization system for your B2B company, whether it's tech or service-based, how, can we do it? What are some of the first steps that we should consider before we start axing channels or moving a bunch of cash into another platform or channel or market? And um, what's like the very first consideration? Definitely. I think the biggest thing is looking at um, 
I think this sounds very simple, but looking at your win-loss analysis and understanding really what business is closing, right? So what what does your close close one revenue actually look like? Um, right. And using that to work backwards through your funnel. Um, and it's interesting though, because lots of folks that have an 18, 24 month sales process, that's really hard because you know mm. the channel you can do the exact same investment that you did 24 months ago on a channel and it's fundamentally different, right? But really understanding the value of your product and what types of co companies are truly buying uh, your product and getting value um, and then working backwards from there. So building out a scoring model, right? That looks like um, your best customers, that looks like your stickiest customers and doing your best to scale that and then working backwards back up the funnel, right? Saying, how do we how do we invest in channels that we know we're gonna bring in these types of folks? Um, mm. The way we think about it is that you have accounts that are, there's kind of two different dimensions, right? They have the great, the right firmographic data, which means that they are the great customer fit. So they are right in your ICP and your segmentation. They look yeah. exactly like um, your closed one revenue or where you want to go. That's okay too. Like if you, if you have a really strong conviction that you can move up market or move into a new industry, run some tests and then build that into your models. And then there's this second dimension, which we call either likelihood to buy or engagement. So what have they done to show um, that they are in a place where they'd be really a really great fit um, to go into a sales process? So that I think we all know this, right? If you push people into a sales process too early, you propose on the first date, it is a really bad experience. And I think yeah. we're all feeling like we you don't have a, a million shots these days to come back on an account. Um, unless your point of contact is changing all the time, which that is happening <laughs> a lot of places. Um, but even your customer base, you're reselling all the time, right? And so that's the, the, those are kind of the, that's the framework that we think about. Look at your close one revenue, build a scoring model based on that, and then build a really excellent feedback loop from your customer success, your sales team, and your marketing team, right? I think that's the, the most critical part is that this is something that's constantly evolving. It's not a set it and forget it. Um, and I think that's where a predictive model really does help. Um, and using, you know, the hot button term AI to really help automate the parts of this that are, um, that are kind of jobs to be done. Right. Um, so that your team can focus on selling and focus on marketing. Nice. So in terms of this win loss analysis, just to break it down a bit more, yeah. is there like a time frame that we should do it over? I.e., should we do like the last year, 12 months, um, should it be a bit more? Um, are there any kind of more detailed specifics that we should look into as you touched on it there were they ideal clients that we won because it could be that you won a, a ton of deals but they're actually like really low average order value and perhaps the customer yep. churned after a couple months because they weren't a great fit and they didn't get the value that they they thought they were going to out of the offer yeah that's a great point so lifetime value of your customer is really important right understanding which customers get to stickiness so i think there's that's where i think the collaboration between that's why i like to call it a revenue technology support because everything from the first marketing touch to the the renewal to the adoption right is so critical to understand if a customer is successful so looking at, I guess it depends on the time frame, depending on your business, right? So do you typically have like a 60 day sales cycle? Is your sales cycle a year? And then what is your typical onboarding cycle to get to stickiness, right? To get to um, that activation um, kind of moment. And so looking at those customers of it, I, I'm not a complete expert on this, but I think where I've seen this be successful is looking at a few different types of customers. So ones that you've had for a long time, yeah. Um, and then consistently looking at win loss, uh, 
like on a weekly basis. Um, so that, uh, you can, or weekly to monthly monthly is probably depending on your sales cycle is probably more useful, but really staying on top of, if you're seeing some trends, uh, of, Hey, it looks like these types of customers are just like all of their budgets are frozen. So like, let's like, we might need to move on. Right. Or mm -hmm. we're finding that our value prop gets us in the door, but like, once we get kind of deep, it seems like we don't think we're going to get sticky here, depending on mm. based on our onboarding process and what we know it takes. So working in collaboration with sales and CS to really define what your, what your most successful customer looks like. And then, um, consistently doing win loss in terms of closing business. Gotcha. What do you folks recommend in terms of the attribution mirage? So when it, it's always tough in B2B, right? To actually nail down which channel was the one that brought in the demo request or the, the client consultation request, because quite often it's it's a mix and match of, of several, right? It always is. Um, and, you know, there's been lots of talk about the dark funnel over the last, you know, few years about the fact that a majority of the buying process, what is it, over 75% happens before you even know who the customer is. Um, and especially if you're selling to an executive audience, they're buying from their peers, right? Like they're asking their peers in communities. They are trying to understand uh, who their competitors are using. They're trying to, so very little of it has to do with your blog posts that you've optimized for the right keyword, right? So I think that doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing those things. I think it, it really matters um, for you to make sure that you're in all of the channels that your buyers could be potentially researching and understanding, but it is really hard to understand. So the way that I think about attribution is I don't. <laughs> um, easy. Uh, easy. Uh, I know it's easy for me to say. I also work in an earlier stage company. And, you know, uh, so I think it's a little e easier for me to say. Um, but I think what we find is really critical is if you have a really great, um, like, model to understand, like, what who you sell to and who closes, how do you understand the quality of the leads or the accounts that are coming in through certain channels? So you know that when you run webinars, you can see based on your analytics that the quality of those leads is really high, but none of them convert. <laughs> like literally not. Right. Um, so that's just an example. It's possible. Maybe you have a, an excellent webinar program. It's possible. Um, but you can see also that a majority, like a majority of our traffic is direct, like almost all of it, mm -hmm. uh, direct or organic, right? And so we see that uh, it's a mix. It's a mix of um, of different tactics that are driving folks in. So we are looking at our funnel analytics to understand what are kind of those last touch, like how do people finally convert? What pushes them over the line? But that is not where you invest all your money, right? Because there's so much that happens before that. And so how do you balance your budget uh, to really understand that kind of air cover approach? Um, while also making sure that you're saturated in the right channels where you know they finally do the behavior change of the demo mm. request, right? So I think it's just two different uh, two different strategies. And I think there's um, a lot of value in measuring your team also on engagement in a target account list. So like, say you have a target account list, um, unless you're a super um, horizontal solution where your target account list is like the whole world, like uh, Slack or uh, Monday.com or something like that. Um, but for us, our target account list is pretty clear. We know who we sell to best. We'll, we'll let in other folks if they'd love to buy. But uh, like we know who we sell to best. So how do we increase engagement with that list, um, bringing them to our website, um, driving some excitement for them um, mm. so that when they're ready to purchase, 
that were already top of mind. So it's kind of, it's a very uh, kind of high level approach to attribution. I'd rather my marketers spend less time justifying their existence and more time doing marketing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I get the point. Um, if push comes to shove though, this is a bit of a tricky one. Yep. And let's say you had to cut a channel and maybe you're spending like a few grand on LinkedIn ads, Google paid search, mm-hmm. maybe review sites like G2 or Captera. Maybe you had an organic SEO team producing content and building links. Um, Maybe one or two other channels. Maybe you're doing some podcast ads, whatever. Um, How would you then go about, like you had, I don't know, you had to cut budget by 10K a month. How would you then go about thinking, well, I don't actually know what channel is, all these channels combined are bringing customers to us as well as, of course, communities and dark social and uh, our prospects talking to each other and things that uh, channels that can't be tracked. But how would a company go about like cutting one of those? Is it just a case of interviewing prospects and kind of getting the insights from them, talking to your sales team, using those signals, then making a sound decision? Or is, is there a bit more to it in your opinion? I think those are critical. Um, but I also think you can see when like, a, there's a good example of like, if your paid social traffic dips and your demo requests are also dipping, like you can probably see that paid social was contributing a lot to your demo requests, right? So that is a fair, it's just looking at leading indicators instead of only looking at like one piece of the puzzle, right? So I think there's a way to understand, you know, if you've been investing heavily in organic and your organic traffic is not increasing and you're not seeing an increase in uh, folks coming in from organic with a high intent, it makes sense to cut that channel. Right. Um, and I think we're being really discerning right now. And I think the way that I've had my team think about this is like, how do we get to MVP on every channel with enough leading indicators to know which ones to invest in? Mm. Right. So what is that, you know, what is that first leading indicator that we know investment equal, like we can continue to invest. So like, we've actually seen this with paid social over the last little bit it's actually working for us. So I'm like, all right, up the investment. Um, in terms of organic, we're just starting to kind of restart our organic strategy to get it off the, to get it off the ground. And I know if we see a, like a 10 to 15% increase month over month with an investment of X dollars and our demos equal X dollars, that to me means let's continue to invest. Uh, you just need to break it down to, a, a to looking at leading indicators. Um, instead of, I think a lot of folks just dumped a ton of money and started every channel over the last uh, few years. So I think bringing Mm. it back down to basics of what is this channel actually supposed to achieve? What are the metrics that actually show me it's working? And uh, if it's not, if I pull back, what happens? (laughs) Like, what do you start to see happen? And how will we know really quickly if that's a really good investment or not? So um, you can always reverse it, which is the thing I think people forget about budgets is you take money out, you can always put it back in, right? Like that's not, you know, we're not printing, well, most of us are not printing billboards, right? so yeah. it's it's pretty easy to take it down. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I think experimentation is like a skill that every marketer should possess um, and the ability to get creative, get scrappy, whether that is kind of char- starting a, a, a channel yourself. Maybe you build out the podcast internally because you don't have cash to invest in a production company anymore. Or like you say, maybe you think, I'm going to turn this channel off for a couple of months, see if it really impacts demo requests or close one revenue. If it doesn't, great, let's move it elsewhere. And just, yeah, taking those things into your own hand is, is smart. Of course, it's a lot easier when you're a smaller business. Yes. And you don't have a, a ton of uh, red tape to get through. Um, yes. It can be more difficult for larger organizations with those kind of things. 
Totally. And I think that's where technology can really support you more in a larger business, right? Like you should have a more sophisticated, uh, you know, analytics platform. Like we see a lot of companies that have a big volume are using our using Mad Kudu to be able to define this. They know if they're MQL, like it's, it's truly amazing to see how many companies are still gold on MQLs um, and not uh, quality pipeline. And so we're showing folks in a lot of places, about 20% of your MQLs are about 80 to 90% of your revenue. So how can you decrease the volume of MQLs and have your pipeline actually go up because you're investing in the right channels? So it's, it, it really does help. Like, it's not something you can really do on your own because of the just vast amounts of data. Um, we do see a lot of value in, in using a predictive platform or a, what we call a revenue automation intelligence platform to really be able mm -hmm. to tell you what can you automate? Where's the intelligence? Like, how can you not spend a million hours with the data team looking at <laughs> looking at this stuff and just have your models kind of work for you? Are you tired of the competition, stealing your potential clients, and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on Google for the main services or products you offer? Or maybe you're already investing in SEO or marketing, but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps you already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com that's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. Do you guys have any data on, uh, you mentioned like MQLs there and like people over investing in MQLs and them not actually going in to close one deals yep. do you have any data on like the biggest fail channel that companies in b2b tech are still investing in that's producing a ton of mqls just not producing end and one deals that's a really interesting data I'd point we should that. look into it yeah that's a good good content piece that we can have coming up uh i think Maybe we'll do it's a case study. i'm not yeah i'm not sure it's the same across the board um but it would be interesting to look at but we are certainly mm. seeing i think a lot of teams want to move away from the mql like it's not like all of these conversations are uh, almost everyone I talk to wants their whole team gold on revenue, which I get right. Marketers want to show that they're driving revenue. CMOs and VPs are accountable for close one revenue. Um, and so they want to be able to show that they're, that they're high, like their high intent, uh, you know, MQLs are actually converting. Um, but I think it depends on the, it, it depends on the business to know which channels are actually driving it. Hmm. I actually really want to do a case study on that now. I think that could be an awesome episode. Perhaps we could do a yeah. co collab in the future. Okay. Yeah, cool. totally. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so we went off on a bit of tangent. I think we jumped ahead quite a, quite a way it's as okay. well. So, which I always do on this show, but yeah, so we were talking about kind of win loss analysis, kind of analyzing data. Um, making sure the leads are coming in at good fit um, and they're the right kind of clients that you're closing deals with. Is is there a next step or other things that we should be doing in order to be able to make sound predictions on what we, our business should be investing in or prioritizing moving forward after we've done that part? 
Yeah, I think there's really, I think I brought this up earlier, but I think that feedback loop is super critical, right? right. There's, I think I, I made a mention of, uh, there is no set it and forget it, right? This market is constantly changing. Your business is constantly changing. Um, and to be able to, a big part of this is building trust um, and alignment, that, another like word that comes up all the time, uh, between sales and marketing specifically, right? So how many times have you heard sales teams being like, we're not meeting our number because we're getting garbage from the marketing team, right? Like, I don't know why they're sending us these leads that are like just people that downloaded eBooks or like, uh, that attended an event, but they didn't even see us. Like, I don't even, they don't even know who we are. Like, this is pretty much cold outreach, right? And you hear marketers saying, well, the problem is they're not properly working the leads that we're sending over. I'm looking and I'm seeing the SLAs are being broken. Like people aren't being followed up with like there's, and so there's a lot of this like tension between these two teams specifically, Never mind CS, which is just like, Hey, can you help me? Uh, they're on the other uh. side of like, like, Hey marketing, like we could use your help. Um, and so I think there's a ton of value in creating shared definitions, shared truth between teams around. These are the, the quality that we are sending over to you. That is either de designated as very good or good is based on the revenue you've closed sales team. Like I promise you. Um, and we also are making our, like, at least for us, we're making our, uh, our, analytics even more and more transparent. So if they're like, this lead looks like trash, why is it scored like this? They go right mm. into our platform, search their email address, and or actually they can go right into Salesforce, search their email address, and it shows them exactly why they're scored that way. And so they can understand. And it's a share. It's like, we're no longer fighting over subjectivity. Um, yep. We're looking at objectively, this is what our model is telling us. This is where our business has been successful. If we think otherwise, and we want to do a manual override, which is possible too, um, we're going to do that together, right? Like that is something we're going to make a decision on together because this impacts both our scoring in terms of the marketing, as well as what sales is getting, um, as well as what are the leading indicators of a need for expansion and CS or a churn risk um, or something like that. So I think the, the next step is really a continuous feedback loop. And I think that that's what I found really valuable as a marketer that in working with a sales leader is that we are, we win together and we lose together, right? Like there's no, if marketing is winning and the business is losing, something is very broken. Um, yeah. And we see it a lot where like, there's almost nothing like kind of ickier to me than the idea of coming to like a all team meeting or a board meeting and the marketing being like, we're crushing it. Like our, our goals are like, we're passing all our goals. And then you look at it and you're like 50% of your revenue close. And it's like, what's broken there? Because in theory, what that, like, if your models are right, like if marketing's crushing their goals, so should sales, right? Unless you're, if your sales cycle is like two years long, maybe not. But mm. I think there's, there certainly uh, should be a correlation <laughs> of both those teams being successful together. Um, yeah, you would hope so. I think so. That, yeah, yeah, you would think <laughs> so, right? And it makes for, it just makes for such a better experience, right? Like I hear all the time. How do you build sales and marketing alignment? Like just be friends, know them, like get along with them personally. It's like, well, why don't you just be playing the same game? Like have the same coach, right? Um, be on the same field. Like in some places, like you're like fundamentally playing different sports. Right. And so I think there's uh, a lot of value in that, in that shared language, shared responsibility. Um, and of course, liking each other is excellent as well, but I think that's, that's secondary. Yeah, completely agree.
I think uh, marketing should actually be forced to call their own leads like at least once a quarter and just test the quality themselves before, because I know so many marketers that would never hop on a CS call, let alone make a cold prospecting call or call a warm lead or anything like that. So they should really, like, yeah, a lot of a lot of marketers are encouraged to listen to gong calls, but I think hands-on experience is like a, a game changer. And it is interesting because I do feel like marketing has gotten more and more specialized over the last five years or so because marketing teams have gotten really big in a lot of organizations. And so marketers have gotten further and further away. It's been a disservice to the marketers as well, right? They've gotten further and further away from the customer, like from the sales process. Um, I think about, I know I've been interviewing folks over the last few months um, for content jobs. And so many of them have no idea how their work has impacted revenue because their team was so big right? and they're, they were just um, accounted for all they had to do was produce. Like they yeah. just had to produce, make sure traffic was coming in, make sure they're ranking for the right search terms. Right. And so I don't blame a lot of marketers who have been kind of coming up over the last five to seven years for being distant because what they were, what made them successful was being excellent craftsmen at whatever channel they were, they were kind of assigned to. Right. Um, and I think you're finding now that there's, uh, there's this big conversation around like scrappy generalists and how they're actually being more successful in this current market. Um, because they understand the value of the business and they can pivot where their channel kind of strategy is. We were talking earlier about how cutting channels. Well, some people that have, you know, anyone in there like that start grew up in tech and now is in like, you know, whatever their late twenties, early thirties, or they made a career shift. So they're like older, but they've been in tech for the last eight years. A lot of them are specialists in a channel. Yep. <laughs> so you're thinking about like cutting channels and you're cutting their job, like, like everything they've built. Right. And so I think there's, there's definitely a lot of conversation around marketers get on the phone, like BDRs and SDRs have the hardest job, like try getting right in front of a prospect and actually doing like talking the talk, but they haven't been really educated or served to do that. And I think that that's, it's been a a really tough transition for a lot Mm. of them Um, that were on like 12 person content teams or like 15 person demand teams. And all they managed was like, I don't know, Google search console, you know, like that's, <laughs> and that's like a real thing. Sounds like a cushy um, job. Yeah. Well, yeah. But also like, it was a hard skill, you know, like they learned a tool, they learned a lot of them also are just managing platforms over the last few years. Um, and so as mm. platforms are consolidating, so are their jobs. And so I think there's a lot of, I have a lot of empathy for folks that have um, built their careers over the last, you know, five, seven years of hyper growth in tech and, and are now mm. like, whoa, like, I need a broader understanding of the business. Like yeah. I didn't have the purview or like the visibility into so many parts of the business that would have helped me a lot in my job. Um, and so not, I definitely agree. They should hop on the phone, but I think that there's definitely has some nuance into why they, why that would be so challenging for them. I appreciate the pushback. Um, I think you're right. Like, especially take, take roles in marketing, like field marketers and yep. things like that, where almost roles have been completely wiped out that were full force a couple of years ago. And then everyone's saying, let's cut events, let's move everything digital. And like you say, if you're not a bit of a marketing around, well, as if you're going for a job role that's outside of a field marketing and you're going against someone who's more of an all-round marketer who says, look, I've got experience in X, Y, Z. I can run a podcast. I can run some SEO. I can run some paid search. I can set you up on here. Um, I've also got experience in this. Well, 
who's going to get prioritized, the specialist or the generalist that's actually going to come in and probably impact revenue quite quickly. And it's so interesting because probably about seven or eight years ago, this, it was the exact opposite. It was like, I was definitely more of a generalist. I was not working in tech yet. Um, I was considering going to business school, which I did end up doing. And people thought I was so ridiculous for doing that. They were like, why would you do that? Like, that doesn't like, that's not going to serve you just go work in tech and you'll learn it. And I, everyone was telling me to specialize. They were like, you're too general. It's hard to know what to hire you for. And I, so I, I did specialize early in my career. Um, and so I started working in PR and then I moved into a content strategy role, went to business school part-time. So I was working this whole time and it has served me immensely. I can't, pr- this is not like back to the prediction conversation, not because I knew how to predict that this is where anything would go, <laughs> but I was a content marketer that was able to understand the impact on the business because I, I like had, I could speak finance. I could speak, um, all these other languages that like, I was not going to learn in my, you know, 800 person company that I was working in with, you know, a team of 45 marketers. Like I could, I got some kind of visibility to it, but the full picture, I was not certainly going to have an understanding of. Right. And so I think there's definitely, it's crazy that it has swapped. And so I have a lot of empathy for folks that are like, I was told to specialize (laughs) over the last, you know, six to seven years. And now working on becoming more general. Um, yeah, it's like you, if you're a content person now, you need to be totally multi-channel. Like you need to have touched every channel. This is, if you're a long form writer, like that is, that was a job where like, I, you know, I've I've talked to companies that had a full team of only long form writers. And that is pretty uncommon now in terms of, um, especially with AI, that's like a whole nother conversation, but I think, uh, it's really, it's a lot is changing for them. So I think there's, uh, in terms of being able to equip your teams properly, I think this is even more important than ever as your teams are trying to upskill in lots of different ways. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really sound advice. Um, that business sense and knowing what kind of your CEO, what your company owners, what your company founders truly care about, and is is really, really useful. Um, just so you can understand general business. Then, if you do decide you want to have a side gig in the future, or you want to start your own thing, those skills are invaluable. Um, that's why kind of getting dirt, getting your hands dirty in a small startup or a smaller business is is really useful in your case kind of getting that business expertise is super, super valuable, no doubt. And to your second point, I think it's it's a tough time for copywriters right now with the introduction of all these AI tools. So unless you're super specialized or niched or I've got a good client base, it must be extremely difficult to generate new business, I would have thought. Yeah, I think it is. a Yeah, it's tough. I think I don't believe that AI is going to completely, uh, you know, negate writers. I think there's a lot of value for really differentiated thought-provoking content that is not AI-driven because everyone is just going to use AI to, to build their kind of like baseline content, right? Like you're not going to have content marketers writing, you know, SEO-focused pillar pages on topics anymore because like there's, there you know, to be fair, um, Bing, Writer, ChatGPT does it better. <laughs> like they can do the research faster. Um, they can get you at least 80% of the way there. Um, I'm seeing a lot of folks really using their skills as editors a lot more, um, or as prompt creation, um, and also thinking more multi-channel, right? So how can we, um, think more about distribution strategy, more about the places that we are, how is our opinion actually really differentiated? What is our different perspective? Um, that's something that I don't think 
AI is at yet. So I do think it's really critical. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for folks that come up through content. So I think there's, there is definitely a huge place for them. It just is definitely a shift in like what their day-to-day looks like. If you're a freelance copywriter, I think generally it's going to be really hard. Um, But some industries are super uh, averse to AI and I think they will continue to use, um, you see some of the large companies like banning it uh, because they're afraid of um, having proprietary data putting into the engines, right? So you're seeing some folks are still certainly busy uh, in some industries, but I think, you know, we're a little bit skewed in B2B tech because we're all hungry for the innovation for sure. No doubt, no doubt. Let's let's wrap up the um, prediction process strategy that we're running through. In terms of, so you mentioned feedback loops, how often should we be doing reviews when it comes to things like the channels we're investing in, churn rates, general bits and pieces when it comes to our marketing strategy outlay and teams? Like how often should we be reviewing that feedback loop and then kind of be reassessing our strategy? Yeah, the way that we think about it is we do it on uh, like a holistic monthly basis. So I think this also um, is a a tip for anyone that has quarterly board meetings. Um, Please have your team do monthly reviews because that quarterly review is so much easier (laughs) when you are doing it monthly, Uh, which all I do is just comprise all three months together. And it has a story that we can tell um, over that time. Um, And so we're looking at every channel uh, in terms of like a holistic view on a month to month basis. But we are really running very specific experiments for certain, and this is something that actually um, our CEO is really excellent at, and I'm I'm even upskilling in like how specific he gets in terms of experiments that we're running on a week to week basis. So we work in kind of a an agile sprint kind of uh, esque. Uh, marketing approach. Uh, And so we are looking at what are we trying to prove each week um, with the work that we're doing. And so we can move really fast. Um, So we're pretty early stage. So I would say that that's a little easier for us, but I would, I would challenge um, companies that are even larger to say, what are the, what are you trying to prove? What are the hypotheses you're trying to prove week over week as your channels are really, your channel strategy is changing a lot. And how are you able to prove those so that when you get to the end of the month, it's not like we hadn't looked at anything all month and now we're surprised. Um, we also look at our main, like our key metrics every single week um, because we we're keeping a close eye on them. So nice. So in short review every month, if you can. Yes, <laughs> that is uh, in short. Yeah. Every month, if you can, and then keeping your team with their leading indicators. So each one of, you know, my team members have their own leading indicators. They should be operating week to week. I think um, at least that's what's worked for me um, and my team. Awesome. Shannon, really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for sharing your tips, hand on advice and um, yeah, really in- enjoyed the discussion. So with that, please do share more about how everyone tuning in can learn more about yourself mad kudu and anywhere you want to send the audience yeah absolutely so um you can visit us at madkudu.com uh where you can learn more learn more about how your revenue teams can continue to automate the intelligence that they have to be able to predict and prioritize only revenue generating signals which i think is something that's becoming even more and more important um and uh, I guess you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Shannon Curran. I usually write a lot about how uh, challenging it is to be a leader uh, and also the things that I'm learning all the time uh, about how to be kind of a better coach, a better leader, um, and all the things I'm learning from all of the other kind of revenue leaders that uh, I get to talk to on a day-to-day basis, which is awesome.
So yeah, that's where you can find us. Um, yeah. And I look forward to, you know, chatting with anyone um, after this. Good stuff. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, I want to thank you once again, Shannon. Really enjoyed the chat. Awesome. Thanks so much. No worries. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating or review on your podcast channel is appreciated. Or if you're on YouTube, a subscribe goes a long way. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one for more no BS B2B marketing tips and advice. Catch you soon.